back to the Gentleman Entrepreneurs Podcast. I am Richard Hall and your host as always. And I'm joined today by Emmett Gates and we are continuing to talk about Italy at the Euros. Now, last time we did this, it wasn't the greatest conversation because Italy didn't even make it. But this time they did. And we're talking Euro 96 today. Emmett, let me start with this. What are your, just an overview, what's your memories from Italy at Euro 96? <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> Not loaded at all. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there aren't many positives from uh, the Euro 96 experience. But I will say, first and foremost, that both of Italy's jerseys for Euro 96 are absolute all-time classics. I have had the home one for a long time and I'm trying to buy the away one. Um, but yeah, jerseys aside, this is uh, frustrating beyond belief. And it is kind of the story of Italy in the 90s. You know, just ridiculous levels of players. You know, the quality throughout throughout the league was ridiculous. But you just have coaches just with tunnel vision and picking systems as opposed to players. And it's just, this is just a frustrating, frustrating tournament. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think last time when we talked about Euro 92, we talked about, you know, the, the, the uh, amount of players in and out of the squad. And I, I we were just talking before this, and I'm going to quote myself now by saying that this is one of the most disappointing Italian teams I can remember, even more so, I'm going to say, than Euro 92, because I think that squad had more players in. I mean, we'll do what we did last time. We'll have a bit of a rundown of this squad before we go into the qualifiers and then obviously the tournament itself. Um, Yeah, I mean, you you made the point there. This is a squad where when you think about 95, 96, I mean, this is peak Gazzetta Football Italia, it's peak uh, you know, Italy dominating in Europe. There's so much quality, so much quality in this league. And I just find it, like we said before, fundamentally disappointing. I mean, should we start with the goalkeepers? Yeah. So, okay, I don't think, I mean, you certainly won't um, hesitate here. I mean, Angelo Peruzzi, you know, okay, the starting goalkeeper for Italy during the competition, chosen by Saki. Um, he just won the, won the Champions League with Juventus and he kept 20 clean sheets that season. You got any argument with Perusi? None at all, none at all. Um, I'm assuming Pagliuca was injured or maybe him and Saki fell out, which wouldn't surprise me, to be honest. I don't understand why Pagliuca was missing from this tournament. Um, but I mean, again, uh, there's no there's no argument with Perusi because he... As you say, he just won the Champions League with Juve. He'd won the domestic double the season before. And he was only 26 at this point. So definitely no argument with Peruzzi. But the absence of Pagliuca is a head-scratcher. Yeah, I mean, from from all reports back at the time, um, Pagliuca was just simply left out. And not for uh, Peruzzi, was always going to be Saki's main choice. Um, but it was more whether Pagliuca would even go as, believe it or not, as second goalkeeper. And that brings us on to our next guy, Francesco Toldo, who apparently was picked over not just on Paluca, but also Francesco Antonioli, who was also supposed to be picked for that tournament. I think Toldo, you know, we think of him from later on in his career, but, you know, I think it was good to take Toldo as a youthful goalkeeper, um, you know, to get some experience. But 
perhaps more incredibly, he takes Luca Bucci from Parma, um, who for me, uh, we had this conversation, I think, when we talked about goalkeepers not so long ago. You know, he's one of those spectacular goalkeepers, but for me, not as consistent. So I can understand Soldo going potentially unexperienced, you know, having young understudy to Peruzzi, but Luca Bucci over Pagluca? I'm yeah, not into that. Definitely sceptical of that choice. And even Luca Marcagiani, you know, he was at USN 84 mm-hmm. and he's fallen off. Yeah. Uh, he's fallen out of the squad too. And even, you know, if you're going to bring a third choice goalkeeper, why not Sebastiano Rossi or the the myriad other of great goalkeepers out in Serie A at the time. And Luca Bucci was about to get yeah. usurped by a young Gigi Buffon at this point. You know, Buffon had made his, yeah. his debut in the November 95. And I think he made maybe six or seven appearances for Parma that season. But Bucci's days as the number one for Parma are numbered at this point. I know it's only third choice, but you still think the other... Well, maybe the likes of Pagliuca and Gianni didn't really want to go with third choices. And maybe Luca Bucci was, yeah, you know, surely. was happy to go as the third choice. But you just think surely there are better choices in the league. Yeah, and Toldo Young takes Toldo as a third choice and take Peruzzi and Pagliuca. Yeah, and then you know it, it makes more sense. But so yeah, <laughs> already Saki's side is beginning to be a little bit debatable. Talking of which. I'm going to talk of a couple of... We talk a lot about these defenders. So, if you'll excuse me, I don't think... If I say Paolo Maldini, Alessandro Costa-Curta, Alessandro Nesta, we don't need to talk about them, do we? Because that's just... Yeah, they're... they're they go. Yeah, they're givens. Yeah, they go. Even though Nesta was only like 20. But, I mean, you still... Yeah, you still take Nesta. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, now, this is where... Now, I don't know if I'm wrong here, so you can correct me, but Luigi Apollini... Now, he, he was good with Parmet. I admit that. I understand that. Um, but I was just not a fan of him. I just thought that Italy had better defenders at the time. Um, but yet, he goes. Um, we've got Emedio Carboni, who you know did exceedingly well for Roma. And he was always seen as like the understudy almost Rapalini, which already starts to just not feel right in my bones with this squad. And then the final two, and I want your opinion on all of these guys, because I suppose Roberto Musti, you know, as a fullback, especially with Palmer doing as well, I'm going to give him that. Um, but I don't think he really had shone in 94. And sorry, Achelli, who probably, I mean, is an, uh, sorry, a Juventus man, you'll probably say, you know, is a valid point, but I see I see weakness in this back line. Oh yeah, I completely agree. I mean, where is Bappy Bergami? <laughs> where you know, yeah. if you're starting you know. Apolloni at right back, surely Bappy Bergami is a better choice. Even though Apolloni was younger, Bappy Bergami mm. was was brilliant until the day he retired. You know, yeah. he retired. What Bappy Bergami retired in '99. Yep. So I mean. Where is, you know, where is Bappy Bergami? Moosey, you know, uh, Carboni, they're just real uninspired choices. They're just real, you know, they don't instill you with any real confidence. You know, Pietro Verkowood, for example, he just won the Champions League and he started in the final against Ajax. Where is Pietro Verkowood? Obviously, I know you've got Costa Curta and Maldini, 
a Nesta, but I mean, for, in my opinion, you still bring Verkowood if he's still playing at the highest level, which he just demonstrated, you know, like a month earlier. Surely you bring him again with Bappy Bergamy. Like, why are they... Saki just makes bizarre choices, and the likes of Apollonia Mutsi just demonstrate that. Torricelli again was kind of in his pump at Juve, so I, I, don't I really... actually like Torricelli. I liked him. Yeah, I have to. I will, I'm gonna I'm gonna put my flag in that camp. Yeah, no issues with Torricelli whatsoever. But Apolloni, Carboni, and Muzzi just real scream out just good pros, but. Are they really the kind of players that you bring to an international tournament? I don't think so. No, completely. Now, we said the defence was a bit weak. The midfield baffles me in this tournament. I mean, anyone who plays for New Jersey Metro Stars, and I am a big <laughs> fan of Donadoni, but you don't get in this team. I actually, this is this is a true story. My friend, who I used to play football with in my, my uh, semi-pro team, Actually, had trials for Metro Stars. Uh, I would have got it if it, and he broke his ankle and didn't get in. But I mean, this was at this time of the as well. Uh, he was a year older than me, so he's seventeen. And so, if he's having trials, no offense, guys. Um, but you, you know, Donna Doni, he's what? He's one hundred and two by now. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's <laughs> it is it is literally Saki just relying on the old Milan. You know, the old Milan collection from like the late 80s. You know, Saki mm-hmm. must think it is 1989 and not 1996. I mean, Don Antonio is 32, very nearly 33 at this point, And he comes out of semi-retirement. And you know what's actually the more remarkable? Don Antonio wasn't one of the worst performers in this tournament for Italy. No. But he should not have been there <laughs> in the first place. You just think, like, what is Saki doing? You know, it just... The, the the choice, the inclusion of Don Adoni just demonstrates Saki just, it's all about the system. He wants players that know yeah. the system and he's relying on the old Milan yard to carry him through. And it's just, it's, it's just head scratching. Like, as we go down this list, you, you just, you, you're just bewildered at the choices that he made. But Don Adoni is one of the ones that scream out loudest for me. So what are you making of Dimitri Albertino with the number 10 on his back? Ah, uh, don't even get me started on it. Albertini is a 10. No, 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 no. Give Albertini <laughs> 4. Give him 6. Give him 8. Do not give him 10. Absolutely no way. Albertini, silky footballer. Absolutely no qualms about his technical ability and yeah. what he could do from deep. You know, very... I think Albertini's kind of become underrated as history, you know, as time has gone on, you know, obviously Pirlo, Andrea Pirlo came later and kind of defined, he's become the archetypal Italian regista to, to a whole generation of people. Albertini's kind of been forgotten about, but during the 90s, Albertini yeah. was a perfect illustrator of the role and how to build play from deep. But he's not a 10. No way, he should not have been given the this, number. This, like, it, it's even worse in France 98 when he's given the number nine. Like, seriously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. This is the thing. We come back to this as well. But when Saki leaves him out against the Czech Republic, we will come back to this. It's probably one of the times, one of the worst decisions. But again, like you say, he's not a number 10. But he is a quality player. Uh, but again, it just shows the bizarreness of how this team was set up. Dino Baggio then. You know, one of the top players in 1994, would you argue? Um, I don't think there's really too much of a miss here. 
Uh, you know, he, he was playing well for Palmer, I think, at the time. Um, what do you think? Should he have gone? Oh, yeah, Dino Baggio, yeah, definitely. Um, he, like at USN 94, he, like it was Dino Baggio and not Roberto that saved Italy from going out. If you remember, I think he scored twice in the group stage. Um, he yeah. definitely he scored the winner against Norway. And he got Italy into the into the knockout rounds, and then Roberto took it from there. But yeah, Dino Dino was probably one of the few box to box midfielders that Italy had in the nineties, who could add an engine to go up and down the pitch. Um, mm. You know, because usually Italy had a lot of the likes of Delivio were wingers, and Albertini was a regista, and then you had the likes of Baggio and. Uh, Roberto, that were, you know, tracotistas, but Dino could get up and down. He was dynamic enough to get up and down the pitch. So he was one of the few in that role in this period. So he's definitely, he's a go for me. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I think another one for a go for me is Angelo Delivio, because I think that whilst he might not be, you know, when we look back, people might not think, wow, you know, he's a name that's remembered. He, I think, you mentioned about Albertini, I think this guy's underrated. Personally, yeah, completely, completely. Um, He's I, very I, so. And Delivio's so versatile. You know, he could play right back, yeah. right midfield, left midfield, center midfield. He's just one of those Italian players, kind of like Gianluca Passato or uh, Berendelli. Mm. That could seemingly play in fifteen different positions on the pitch yeah. and look comfortable doing so. So Delivio definitely, you know, and at this point he's twenty nine, so he's definitely a go for me. Yeah, definitely. I'm a big Diego Fuzer apologist just because I love anyone who's got a shot from distance. Um, but, I mean, I would arguably say he was past his best at this point. Um, I'm not sure what you're thinking on that. I mean, he's with Lazio, isn't he, here? But the argument is, and I, let's bring another player into play here, Roberto Di Matteo. The argument was that those two played really well together. Now, I don't know what you think of Di Matteo. I still, after all this time, cannot figure out if I thought Di Matteo was an incredible player or just a decent player. And I don't know. You know, he's... People say he was one of the most complete midfielders of the era. Other people say he was hit and miss. Um, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But did these two, do you think, get chosen because of their combination? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you in the Di Matteo scenario. I don't really know what he was good at. Like, you know, maybe he was like a, an Italian version of Frank Lampard. He would make runs from deep and score goals in midfield. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I think it's this summer. Is it this summer that he moves to Chelsea? So I really... I think so, maybe the year. Yeah, I he did, thought it was Zeman, didn't he? Yeah. He had a big fight with Zemin in the 95-96. Yeah, because he, he scores that goal in the FA Cup final in 97. So Minister, obviously he, he, yeah. he leaves yeah. this summer. So once I started getting into Italian football, Di Matteo was gone. So I never really saw a lot of him. And he's never, any footage I've ever, you know, watched back. He's never, he's never really stood out for me. So I don't really know what his best attributes were. So again, I, I'm not really sold on Di Matteo. Diego Fuser, I mean, a bit like Delivio, like a good winger, up and down, but he's mm. not really someone that's going to get you off the edge of your seat, is he? You know, he's real industrious, yeah. hard-working, yeah. robust, as you said, good shot. But again, you know, mm. he's not going to set the uh, pulses racing. 
That's it. And then final one here. And listen, you know as well as I do, and our listeners hopefully will know as well, that we pride ourselves in knowing absolute facts about, well, saying that, about the nostalgic football and uh, era of the 90s. But before this, we were just going through the squad list, uh, having a little chat, and I went, Fabio Rosito, who the hell is he? <laughs> and, I do, and I am not embarrassed to not remember this guy. Yeah, me neither. Like going through the squad list, all of them I know except him. I'm like, who? <laughs> I know. It's just like, so uh, you know what? I actually don't think we're qualified to comment on him because he could have had an amazing season. Um, but this is a guy like, I mean, everyone, there's always one who gets called up to a squad. Um, but I'm going to say that the fact that he doesn't resonate with us afterwards, and apologies to him if he, I need to, we, maybe we should have done, maybe we should try to interview him. <laughs> I don't because I don't think he'll have any much of a busy calendar because I don't really remember anything about him, and that that says a lot as well because we you know we remember quite a lot of players. So right, okay, we're going to move quickly on to the forwards now. Again, why am I not inspired by this? And I should be. I really should be. So. I mean, we don't need to talk about Alessandro Del Piero. I don't think we do anyway. Um, personally, because I think, you know, he's, we just know how how good he was. Uh, even though he was probably, you know, really getting into gear at this point. Um, I suppose we do have to talk a bit about Gianfranco Zola. Um, he was just about to leave Parma to go to England at the time. But I mean, this guy was phenomenal. Um, and I think at that point, there's no argument. Is it for Zola? I can't. I can't argue against Zola. Uh, no, I can't. I can't really make an argument for Zola <laughs> at this point. I mean, he he won Saki over during the qualifying, and I think he scored seven goals in qualifying for Euro '96. Mm. So, and he basically replaced Roberto Baggio as the number ten in Saki's side, and he was, you know, you know, you know how much I love Roberto. Zola probably worked a bit harder and he was probably, he appealed to Saki more because he maybe pressed a bit more and worked a bit more diligently. Um, so definitely no arguments about Zola at this point. It's more Ravinelli, Chiesa and Casaraghi that kind of leave me uninspired. They're the choices. I think Del Piero and Zola are locks, but it's the other three that are up in the air. I'm going to argue, Pierluigi Casiraghi for me, I think in 95-96, he had an amazing season. I, I just feel that he's the one out of those who I can see. Because, you know, you look back and you look at Casiraghi, and I, I can argue that, that yeah, okay, the way it worked out for him. And, uh, it, you know, it was unfortunate in the end, especially with injuries. But at that season, I remember back as a kid thinking he was the next big thing. You know, he was like the one who was like, wow, okay, this is the guy who's going to be huge. I completely agree with you, with Chiesa, because, you know, well, really, he came in at Parma to sort of replace Zola, didn't he? He was going going to England. But again, you know, he's he just scored, what, 22 goals the season before? Yeah, with Sam, this is the... Kind of get it. Yeah, 95, 96 Sam, was yeah. his, his breakout year. But, I mean, he had only, like, Chiesa had, like, two caps going into this tournament. You know, he was very 
inexperienced. But I suppose maybe that's the thing, you know, when you... It kind of worked for Italy at Italia 90 when Toto Scalacci had that great season going and, into the tournament and Vecini brings him and he kind of carries on. So maybe Wasaki thinking he would do likewise with Chiesa. You know, he's definitely going into the tournament in good form. So it's kind of yeah. difficult to argue against his inclusion. Um, But I just feel like he, he, he leaves out Robbie Baggio, Gianluca Vialli, and Pepe Signore. In that season, 95-96, that's 42 Serie A goals he leaves on the table. Yeah. Like, Pepe Signore... Signore is the one. Yeah, he was Capo Cananieri with Igor Prati. 24 goals. Vialli got 11. Baggio <laughs> got 7. So, but I think the issue between Signore and Saki came from... Saki, as you know, a strict 4-4-2 man... Never yeah. veered away from four four two. He wanted Baby Signori to play as a left midfielder, and Baby Signori's like, "No, you either play me as a striker or I don't play." And Saki was like, "Well, Arrivederci." And <laughs> Signori never played for Italy again. So you know there was never going to be a compromise between the two. Saki is as stubborn a coach as it comes. Viali, Viali, and Saki had a fallen out. I think in nineteen eighty two. I think it was like a prank of Viali pulled a bit. Parmesan cheese he put it on Saki's plate and Saki kind of is like he's a character kind of devoid of all humour and you know practical <laughs> jokes and he didn't take too kindly to Viali putting Parmesan cheese on his food so that was the end of Viali was never picked again <laughs> and Viali at that point was only 28 Viali never kicked another ball for the Zuri and Viali always denies always denies the, the quotes that were uh that were attained to him that he uh, in the final of USA 94 Viali said that he was supporting Brazil which is something that he's always denied but I think it, if he had said it it was more out of spite of Saki as opposed to yeah, yeah, you know definitely. going being anti-Italy and Robbie Baggio I mean I don't care if he'd only scored two goals all season You and Baggio's 29 you do not not bring Robbie Baggio to a tournament but again it's Saki it's Saki being stubborn and not wanting star players in this. You know, to him, the system was the star player, yeah, not exactly. an individual. Saki hated soloists or individualists or people who actually thought outside the system. So he wanted people to conform. And Baggio was never one of those players. But to me, if Baggio was fit, which he was, you bring him, no you questions know, asked. Yeah. Well, the last one, really, is the last one of the Brit Pop Italians in Fabrizio Ravinelli. Um, you know, he just scored in the Champions League final for your guys. I mean, yeah, was this not his best season? I mean, I agree with you massively. I look at Cassiagi, well, maybe not Cassiagi, I look at Chiesa, I even look at Zola to an extent and think, okay, I'm really struggling to, like you say, when you've got like Sabaggio and Signori, I'm struggling here. I am looking, thinking, I'm trying to be objective. I'm trying to put myself in the mindset of Saki and think, because Hiragi's just had one of his best seasons. Chiesa's scored a hat load of goals. Hasn't Ravinelli just had his best season ever? I think Ravinelli's best season, in terms of goals anyway, was 94-95 the season before. I think this season he gets maybe 18-19, whereas the season prior he scored 31. Um, okay. But, I mean, he had scored in the Champions League final. Um 
I mean, you could you could kind of make the argument that all Saki need... Like, I mean, Juve won the Champions League with Del Piero, Viali and Ravinelli in a, in a trident, you know, in a three. Mm-hmm. Literally, if you're Saki, all you need to do is basically take those three players. They know how each other plays. Play a 4-3-3 and start those three that have just conquered Europe. You know, it's not rocket sense. So I kind yeah. of... Yeah, I know what you mean. Ravinelli is kind of... And he'd never really done it for Italy. You know, Ravinelli's kind of one of those players, very good in a league, but maybe just lacking something to make that step up yeah. to international level. Again, Signori was the same. And you're seeing it now with Ciro Immobile. Very good in a league, but just lacking something at international level. And Ravinelli, I mean, he scores maybe, what, eight, nine goals for Italy in his career, 10 goals. Um... If you're trying to be objective, it's kind of hard to disagree on any of them. But I just, yeah. I don't see how you ignore I, Baggio and Signori. I just don't. That's exactly the point. If you're being objective, you can't you can't disagree with any of them. Yeah, fundamentally, I disagree with a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> so just really quickly before we get into the tournament, do you want to give us a bit of a touch over on the qualifiers? Because they're in a group who, uh, you know, includes Croatia, Lithuania, Ukraine, Slovenia and Estonia. It's a walk in the park group, really. Although you could argue it's a very good Croatia side that year. Yeah, and I mean this was this was the start of Croatia as an independent nation. Um and actually it is for many of these countries like, you know, Lithuania, Ukraine, Estonia. Um and Italy actually don't get off to the best of starts, as is the Italian way. They draw one one with Slovenia in September nineteen eighty four. Um, but this was a really good Croatia side. Davor Suker, I think he scores maybe about sixty-five goals in qualifying for this tournament. It's just <laughs> when you're when you're looking through the scores, it's just Suker every time for Croatia. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you you know Boban, Suker, Prozanaki, you know this Robert Yarny. This was a very good Croatia side, and who will go on to the final four in France '98, um, and the you know Italy's. Qualifying for this tournament really is unremarkable. It's very formulaic, you know, very rudimentary. But one thing we should touch on is the the clash between Croatia and Italy in November 1984 in Palermo. Italy lose 2-1. Sucker again scores two. Dino Baggio scores for Italy. But Italy are atrocious. And after the game, reportedly, there's a player mutiny led by Robbie Baggio, who won Saki gone. And... Essentially, they're sick of the the ceaseless tinkering of players, and you know the the sacky way of trying to play the high press, and it's clearly not working. You know, Italy were very. You know, this is something that we talked about off air. Saki, Saki essentially was a club manager. You get the yeah. players in day in day out. You work in a system. You work, work, work. Repeated drills, patterns all the rest, you don't get that same time at international level. And it was evident in the way Italy played. Italy were very stodgy throughout the whole Saki years. And, you know, they get to the final of USA 94. And that's, if anything, it's because of the genius of Robbie Baggio and nothing to do with Saki. Actually, it's probably yeah. in spite of Saki that Italy get to the final of USA 84. So it gets to, you know, this is like the third game of qualifying. And basically they, they want Saki to resign. And Baggio's leading the charge. Um, 
And I think, I can't remember exactly what Banjo said, but he basically said that Saki, something along the lines of Saki promised this great football and he's fallen short. And there was speculation of uh, Giovanni Trapattoni coming in, um, which Baggio, ironically, was in favour of, considering uh, Trapattoni would leave Baggio out of the 2002 World Cup. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Baggio says, you know, he wasn't surprised that Saki was getting attacked by the media. He promised this exciting brand of football and he's not delivering. Um, but essentially, Saki gets assurances from Antonio Matarese, who's then president of the Italian Football Federation. Matarese was the one who went to bat to get Saki in in the first place. And he wasn't going to get rid of him because it would have then it would have made his position untenable. So basically, Saki gets that reformation that he's staying and. As soon as he gets that, Baggio's out. He cuts him out. Baggio only plays one more game, I think, a year later in September 1985 against Slovenia. And that's it. Baggio doesn't play under Saki again. So he basically cuts him and he brings in Zola full-time as his number 10. Um, it's ironic, isn't it? Because under we talked on the last podcast in 92 with Vicini that they wanted this superstar coach. You know, but again, they fall short of a coach who's just continually tinkering with the squad. It doesn't ever seem to... It's not a good period for Italy, really. And I agree with you what you're saying before. That 1994 final, for me, when you look at 92 and you look at 96, it's almost a bloody miracle. And it is is a lot down to Baggio that that happened because, you know, you've got two coaches who... Are trying to who who struggle with the playing staff, struggle with the system, um, struggle to see what they trying to put their ideas onto the pitch, and Italy at that same point have had two coaches, one who's a bit more meek and mild in Regini, but then you've got Saki, who's the ultimate you know uh, whipping the horse type manager coach, should we say, and it, it still doesn't seem to work. But I don't know. I mean, do you you're right though. I mean the, these. It was poor. I mean, the qualifiers, they finished second to Croatia in the group. Equal points, but on head-to-head, uh, they finished second. Well clear of Lithuania, which is which is a good thing. But it's it wasn't looking... I don't think he's looking for spectacular as they go into the finals in England, do you? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of... What we talked about in, you know, in the last podcast about Euro 82, like if this had been an eight, another eight-team tournament, Italy were out. Italy finished second, you know, on goal difference. So again, yeah. a very talented squad would have missed out on another Euros had it been an eight-team tournament. But luckily for luckily for Saki and Italy, UEFA decided to expand the tournament to sixteen teams. Um, but this obviously, you know, it was a routine qualifying. But yeah, it's just really, it just leaves you really uninspired, and. The choices that Saki, the, the squad that he brings going into the tournament, you just think there's there, there was many better players that he left at home than he brought, mm-hmm. and it just it just really you just look at that squad and you just think uninspiring is a word. Yeah, it's just real. Whole... Like it is literally just workhorses that fit into his system, and he's yeah. not he's not bringing the best players that you know, could win a game on a dime or players that have proven themselves with Italy. It is literally players that will fit into his system and that is it. And the system is the star. 
And yeah. if you don't fit into this system, you are not coming. That's essentially it. And to me, Saki should have gone after USA 94. You know, Baggio ironically saves his job. Because if you remember, and I'm sure you do, how poor Italy were in, in the group stage of USA 94. They were awful. Yeah. They're dire. Like, and he took Baggio off in the second game against Norway once Marco Gianni or Pagliuca gets sent off and he takes yeah. off Baggio for Marco Gianni and Baggio's like, this man's crazy. You take off your best... Imagine Argentina or Brazil taking off Romario or Maradona for a <laughs> goalkeeper. You know, instead of taking off a midfielder or whatever. You just... Saki just... I don't know. To, and it's easy to say in hindsight that he was a poor choice to be Italy manager. But even at the time, people wanted him gone because he he just yeah. divided Italy so much at the time. I think he enjoyed doing it at the same time. So if we, we fast forward to, to Anfield, um, 11th of June, 1996. Well, actually, actually, just, just oh. before we start the tournament, we should point out the draw was made in Birmingham in December 95. Ah, I know where you're going. <laughs> yeah, and basically it gets to, you can see this on YouTube, the last two names is Italy and England, and either could go in Italy's group, which was Group C, or um, the group with Scotland, Holland, and Switzerland, and it was between Italy and England to see which group, or which team ends up in which group, so you could have had England going into this group, and Italy going into the Scotland and Holland group. And to me, that changes the com the complexity of what Euro 96 represents. Essentially, you know, specifically on British shores, because then you got the England v Scotland game, Gaza's goal, the mm. euphoria that comes after that result. Um, if you put Italy in that group and England end up in the Czech Republic and Russia group and they, they play Germany, you know, it's a completely different tournament. The feel of it, how it's remembered completely changes and maybe Italy actually make it out of this group as opposed to what happens so it would have been interesting to see how you know if the rules had been reversed how the tournament would have played out true if some buts there if some buts if you go down this road we could be here forever <laughs> I was going to say what if Nedved never never mind anyway <laughs> so I was going back to 1998 um but no, it, it, it's one of those. But yeah, I mean, look, they get drawn with Germany, Czech Republic and Russia. And as I was saying before, you know, Sanfield, 11th of June, Leslie Mocham blows his whistle. But it starts well, doesn't it, for Italy? Because Cassiaraghi's got a goal after five minutes and things are looking good. And, you know, when you when you look, I mean, we talked about the sort of, not demise of, of Russia since 88, but I personally think they were on the way in a little bit. I mean, yeah, I look down this squad now at the time, Dimitri Karin, I still think, was an OK goalkeeper. Dobrovolsky is getting a little older. I always did like him as a player. But, you know, uh, Simitenkov was a decent player. Kinchelskis was, was kind of in his pump. Igor he Kali was playing this game. Uh, well, he was in the squad, Kinchelskis. Uh, I'm mm. nearly sure he did play. And then you have Igor Kalivanov, later... Then of Fadja, but later of Bologna fame, Kalivanov was a good, you know, industrious centre forward. Um, Victor Onopko, is that how you pronounce he, his name? Valerie Kjarpin. He was, was he, not, he was old, though. Was he not old? No, they're oh, like, they were 27, 26 at this time. Oh, you know, was he really? Enough? Yeah. 
I always thought Anopko was I maybe it's just me, but every time I think of Victor Anopko, I always think he was so old at that tournament. But yeah, okay, <laughs> forget it. Carry on, carry on. And then too, you know, you have Igor uh, Shalimov of Inter Glory, <laughs> who was still playing yeah. at Serie A at that time for Udinese. So I mean, it's a decent Russia squad, but again, as we as we alluded to in the Euro ninety two episode, they're not what they were. In the late eighties, you know, obviously the Soviet Union and it broke up, and uh, countries gained independence. So, the players that played for Russia, they were strictly Russian, probably, maybe I don't really know, but I mean, this is a decent Russia squad, but they just happened to be in the group that was labeled the Group of Death. You know, this was given the Group of Death tag, the Group C, um. And obviously, you know, you have the Germans who go on to win it, obviously, and the Czech Republic who would reach the final. Mm. And you have Italy, whose reputation probably carried over from USN 84, but as we alluded to, when you deep when you delve deep into the squad, you realise that it's really, you know, it's not the best of squads that Saki would take. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a good start for Italy. Casaraghi scores a brace, Um Two very good finishes. The first one from outside the area. And the second one where he slipped in. Nice, a gorgeous uh, slipped pass in from Zola. Mm. In the second half. And I mean, it's a good, it's a very good start well, friendly. Yes. And they kind of do display some of the high pressing that Saki wanted to implement in his team. Um, But again, you just, you look at the, the def, you know, the, the starting lineup in the defence and you just think, Obviously, you have Maldini and Costa Curter there, but you just feel like, you know, especially at the fullback positions, Italy are vulnerable, which, you know, happens in the sacking game. <laughs> the disastrous sacking game. Well, um, let's move through that because that's again at Anfield. And uh, this is against Czech Republic, who were, uh, obviously, they got all the way to the, the final this year. Uh, but again, I mean, you've got the situation here where Apollini gets the red card. Uh, again, you know, I've, I've got, I shouldn't have said this, but I've just got absolutely no time for Apollini as a defender. I just, I, I, I never saw it in comparison to the, the company that he was around. Again, you've got Moussi in this team. Fuser gets booked. It's, it, you've got Chiesa and Ravinelli. Again, we're coming back to that word. It's just not inspiring in the slightest. It's very, it's very workmanlike. I mean, he makes Saki... He had it in his head that you need more than 12 or 13 players to advance deep in a competition. So he he brought a squad of players where he basically felt they were interchangeable. You know, like pieces mm. on a chessboard. You know, I'll take out the left midfielder and I'll just put another one in and it'll be the same. It'll be equal because for him, the system was the star. Basically, whoever played in the system... It didn't really matter who you were or what quality you brought. So he makes five changes for for the game against the Czech Republic. You know, uh, Delivio is out, Di Matteo is out, Del Piero, Zola and Casaraghi are out. And they're replaced by Fuser, Dino Baggio, Ravinelli, Donadoni and Chiesa. I mean, let's, well, let's give a poor mention here to Alessandro Del Piero, who was forced out. He was given the Signori role for Euro 96, shunted out. Huh to the left yeah. wing. He got 45 minutes in the entire tournament and that was it. Like, he got 45 it's minutes ridiculous. against Russia. He was took off at half time and he never kicked another ball. 
for the remaining, you know, two and a half games. And then, you know, for the game against the Czech Republic, he makes all these changes and he thinks that because the system is the star, it's not going to make any difference. But that's not how uh, football yeah. works. I mean, there's certain things, like you say, it does in club football. Like, you look at Atalanta as a comparison now. You know, there's very few players in Gasparini's squad, you know, they can who you can't take out and replace with someone else. And we've seen how well they've done without the likes of Papu Gomez or maybe Ilicic in certain times this season. And so there's a direct comparison. If you've got a club manager who knows and works that system day in, day out with the players that he knows and can work with in that way, then it can happen. It cannot happen in international football unless, and the only reason it can happen in international football is if you're a country that has limited, really limited resources. And so that starting 11 picks itself pretty much. And then, you know, you've got players who can, you, you, you know, you're trying to, uh, your substitutes are also uh, pick themselves. So you know that that's what you have to work with. But this is in Italy where you've got all the wealth in the world of talent to, to have. And it doesn't make any sense. And like you say, you know, the fact that Del Piero plays 45 minutes in this tournament is madness, especially when you look at, like you said before, you know, we've seen what the Parma teams and the Juventus teams are doing in this era. Um, it, it's just, I mean, this game, it's against the Czech Republic. Okay, yeah. You look at like Paborski, Kadlek, Berger, a long shot. Obviously, we've got Nedved in there as well, I should certainly mention. Chakuba in goal, maybe, maybe you can say he's a half-decent goalkeeper. It This this shouldn't have been a game that proved... To, I mean, how many times are we going to say this about Italy at the moment? And we did it about Euro 92. Games that shouldn't prove a problem. But you look at that Czech Republic team, the one thing it was, it picked itself and it was organised. Kukanau, measuring up the cross. Oh, it's another goal! Put the checks 2-1 ahead. Well, this is an astonishing game tonight. And the battle is really on now for the Italians. And, you know, ironically, that was a team that would pick itself. And, you know, so you still, you know, even when you go down to the that you think of the bench of that yeah, Czech team of the 96 team, really, okay, the likes of Smisa, maybe Novotny, maybe Sriniak. It's it's a team that realistically, you know the first 11 that's going out there. So it is, and we're going back to that word again, it's uninspiring. And basically what that means in the end is that it means that there's a game at the, uh, I mean, it's the last, the, the fixture you wouldn't want at the end, isn't it, really, after this? I mean, you know, You've obviously had that game against Russia, uninspiring, the, the poor defeat to the Czech Republic. And next up, you go into Old Trafford and you've got to go out and play Germany. And uh, if we're going to use that word again, I think we are. I mean, this was... Uh, you go for it, Emmett. Take it away. Yeah, I mean, just, just, to, just to go back to the Czech game for a moment, like, it's... It's arrogance from Saki that's bordering on lunacy to change five players for the second game. I mean, Richard, you would look at that and think, right, we pick up wins against Russia and the Czech Republic and then in the third game against Germany, you do not want to be going in to the final game needing a victory against Germany. Mm -hmm. Of all the teams who 
have a mentality that's very similar to the Italians, it's the Germans. You would look at that going into the tournament thinking, right, six points from Russia and the Czech Republic and then the game of Germany, the pressure's off, you don't need anything. But Saki makes, you know, he makes the five changes against the Czech Republic and the Czechs win. And Nedved, you know, future Serie A legend, and he would arrive and, you know, Lazio would buy him that summer from Sport of Prague. Um, he pounces on a Maldini mistake. Actually, in saying that, Paolo Maldini had a very poor tournament for Italy. Karl Baborski ran him ragged, yeah, ran him ragged in this game. And uh, the Czech game, specifically, Maldini was... If you remember, there was a Nike promotion, the, the Nike promotion, yeah, promotion posters. It was like Italy's goalkeeper. Italy's goalkeeper. Easiest, easiest job in the world. <laughs> yeah, and Maldini's face is on it. But Maldini actually had a really poor tournament. And he ends up in the team of the tournament. Somehow, don't know how. <laughs> UEFA clearly didn't watch their own tournament if they're putting Maldini in it. Um, but, you know, you would think you get to the last, you want to win the first two games and then you can make changes. But Saki just, the arrogance that Saki thought that the system could beat anybody, regardless of how many players he changed, it was just, it's madness. And then you get to the final game and Italy essentially either need to win or better. Czech Republic's result against Russia and then you know he makes more changes he he reinstates Zola and Kassaragi you know up front Di Matteo's brought back in Costa Curta uh, replaces uh, Apolloni who's suspended um, Paolo Maldini's moved back in a centre uh, in a into central defence as opposed yeah. to being left back Carboni comes in at left back and it starts off well. You know, Italy press high, Kassaragi wins a penalty. Uh, Matthias Sammer, who would go on to win the Ballon d'Or, Ballon d'Or that year, um, as he was captain of Germany in that tournament. Why was Matthias not at Euro 96? Do you know? You mean, you know, Matthias would have been maybe 34, 35, still very good, but... There was something, yeah... I... He got he definitely. I can't remember why he got left out now. Probably, knowing Matez, it was probably an argument with <laughs> with, <laughs> with, with, with Bertie Votes. Yeah, yeah, probably. I'm trying to think. That does really resonate. There was there was definitely something there because I remember there's a good documentary on Sky uh, where Matez happily talks about his uh, you know past uh, his career, and I know that he does have something to say about Bertie Votes, but I, I can't for life me remember off the top of my head now. But yeah. Something to, to have a look at. Yeah, so uh, Kassaragi pounces on, on Sammer's mistake at the back and he runs through and Andreas Kapka brings him down. Penalty literally. Zola steps up and honestly, one of the meekest penalties that you will ever see in an international tournament. If our, if our listeners haven't seen it, go on YouTube and type in Italy, Germany and you see Zola steps up just... It's almost like a pass, a back pass, with the instep of his right foot. Just gently passes it to uh, Kapka's left, who dives and makes the save. Easy, and Saki, Saki said after the game, Zola's miss, it cut off his legs. Like, his confidence just evaporated, and Zola was a ghost for the rest of the game. And that was Italy's chance. Italy, after that, Italy never really 
threatened the Germany goal. They kind of threw everything forward, but it was always huffing and puffing. You know, Germany kind of kept them at arm's length, but Zola's penalty was really their chance, and they fluffed it. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And in this game, like you said, Germany go down to 10 men, don't they? And yeah, which, they could, which, which, we which, couldn't which, have had any more chances here. Yeah, and I mean, in a sense, that actually hampered Italy because Germany then just put everyone behind the ball. And in a situation like that, in a situation like that where you've 10 men, you know, decamped in their own half, Saki's system, which is all about exploiting space in behind, that's no good. It's at this time where you need a Baggio, someone who can get on the ball and create a bit of magic, find an opening, the smallest of openings. But of course, Baggio's not there. Zola's confidence is gone. Del Piero is on the bench. Italy huff and puff. You know, so the, te- the Germany getting going down to 10 you know, was counterproductive from Zaki's point of view. But again, Italy should not have been in a position where they, going into this last game, where they actually needed a victory against Germany. I know Italy had a good... A good uh, had an exemplary record against Germany in competitions, but it's still there's still not an opponent where you want to go into a game with needing something from, you know. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. No, you, you don't want to get to, to be in that position in itself. Is we talked about it in similar in '92, you know, where they had crucial crucial games when she'd never been in that position in the first place because it was obviously going to be hard enough. Yeah. I mean. Just, just for our listeners' uh, point of view, we never try and say we know everything on this podcast, and we just had a little look up. And you were right, but Mateus didn't just feud with uh, Bertie Vokes; he also kicked off with Jurgen Klinsmann, who was the captain for that squad, uh, and therefore that's why he didn't go. So Mateus arguing with not one but two people, which is no real classic, surprise. classic Mateus. Um, Mateus one, so well, yeah, well, I mean, well, we, I mean, we should we should point out. That Italy actually were going through at one point. Russia were three yes. two up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And with two minutes left, Vladimir Schmischer struck from the edge of the box to equalise for the Czech Republic. This made it three three, and basically with minutes to go, Italy were out. And uh, the game had finished at Old Trafford. It was it ended up Italy nil, Germany nil, and you could see Saki was waiting, and he was listening to the crowd reaction from inside Old Trafford because the Czech Republic and the Russia game was happening at Anfield and you could see him looking pensive waiting for the result to come through and then obviously at this point this is pre-mobile phones so it's like Italians inside Old Trafford where we handheld radios and desperately <laughs> looking up teletext or <laughs> the, na- the, na- the 90s way of gaining news and then it breaks through that Italy are out. It's 3-3. The Czech Republic are through. And Saki just storms straight down the tunnel. Almost tears in his eyes. Um, but he, you know, after the game, he was typically robust and arrogant and stubborn. He was asked, was he going to resign? And he's like, no, I have a contract until after France 98 and I intend to honour it. Which, of course, we know that didn't happen. But, I mean, it just shows you that Italy actually, despite all of Saki's craziness and lunacy, Italy very nearly pulled it off and very nearly qualified. But, to be fair, it probably... And they would have faced Portugal, wouldn't they? Yeah, they would have, they would have yeah. Yeah, faced Portugal in the quarters. I mean, that really wasn't 
a vintage Portugal side, you know, you had Rui Costa and Figo, that golden generation, but they were they weren't maturing like they would no. by the time you get the Euro two thousand. So I mean, you can imagine Italy could have beat Portugal had they qualified, but I think it would have been it, it would have been unjust if Italy had have qualified. To be honest, yeah, I think that's pretty much. The, the 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 nature of it. Well, I'm really hoping, Emmett, that when we carry on uh, with these podcasts, we're actually going to say something nice about Italy's national teams at the moment because <laughs> 92 and 96 have been disastrous in both respects. I mean, 96 arguably better than that. At least they made it. But yeah, I think yeah. What my take from this is just that I uh, like you said. I think we've covered all the ground now. I think that it's like you. It's an arrogance. It's a, a belief that the system can overrule uh, talents and quality in some respects. Um, I don't think the side that was picked was correct, and it's easy all to say with hindsight. Of course, it is. Um, but you know, when we look back, you know, Euro '96 is certainly not something that, like you said, apart from the kits, really covered itself in glory. Uh, uninspiring, as I've said a million times today, and one that. I think they'll be quite happy to forget about, to be honest. Yeah, it's definitely not going to be a tournament that will live long in the Italian memory. Um, and this, by this point, I, I might cause some controversy here, but I, I, I believe that Saki is one of the most overrated coaches in history. To me, Saki was a one-trick one yeah. one pony, and he could never replicate that anywhere else. And if you had... Baresi, Maldini, Costa Curta, Tassati, and Reichard van Basten and Hollett. You could get them, they were intelligent enough players to be able to get them to play any system that you wanted. Saki then tried that with Italy, and it was never going to work, as we have already pointed out, because international football, you simply just don't get the time. He went back to Milan, tried to do the same thing with still, obviously, not as much quality as in the late 80s Milan. But again, he was a disaster at Milan. He went to Parma, was a disaster. Went to Atletico Madrid for a cup of coffee, was a disaster. To me, Seki was a one-trick pony, and by 1986, that pony was worn out. And the game had moved on. And it's ironic, too, that Germany ended up winning the Euro 96, and they played with the Libero in Samer. And that was a position that Seki kind of sought out to destroy in Italy. He wanted rid of the Libero. And he felt it was old-fashioned. And yet here we are in 1996. And Germany win the tournament with the Libro. And, yeah. and to me, I Saki's obsession with the system and it being the star, it just, the game had evolved and he'd been left behind. And to me, his reputation was in tatters after this. You know, he never, he, he didn't hold that awe that he had earlier in the decade for me I think he's very overrated he he was lucky to have a squad of players as I already mentioned mm. and you know he I mean he only won one league title Capello took that same squad and won three in a row and went it's, undefeated I get, I get where you're coming from with Saki I think that for me I'm a little different I think that what he in the time when he was at Milan, you know, you can't disregard that. But I do agree that in some ways, I definitely think that the worst job in the world for him is a national team coach. Because oh, yeah. you can't 
replicate the same way that he approached the job and approached the way he wanted to work. I think it was a disastrous, disastrous move. But at the same point, you know, and I also agree that football, by the time he'd finished the Italy job, football had bypassed him. I definitely agree with that. But I won't take anything away from his, his, his time at Milan. But I think that for for all, uh, I think what we can certainly definitely agree on is that this, you know, him as a national coach was just probably should have been foreseen that, that you know, it's like there, there's nothing wrong with that. There's certain coaches now who, you know, spend all their time on the training field and you can tell that they would want to to do that and they would get the best out of a, a club side, but they wouldn't be able to do the national team job and vice versa. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, Saki's era ended in disappointing, well, yeah. anonymity really, wasn't it? Just, yeah, but... I mean, he... he... He eventually showed some humility and uh, admitted that he made mistakes, you know, leading into the Russia game, changing too many players. But he wouldn't, he refused to fall on his sword. And finally, in December 96, Italy had already started qualification for France 98. And uh, basically, I think it got to a point where even Matarese was was saying, Saki, you, huh. you need to go. And Berlusconi wanted him back at Milan because if you remember, Milan at that point was a train wreck. Um, <laughs> Capello, Capello had left and they brought in uh, Oscar Washington Tabarez and he lasted <laughs> for like two or three months and he was then sacked. And so Saki then was recalled and that was the end of the Saki era. But I mean, and then he had Milan for half a season and it finished 13th in Serie A. Uh, and so then Cesare Maldini comes in then in January 97. Um, Again, another, uh, not really an inspiring choice, another pragmatic coach. Um, Well. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, That's certainly certainly another another podcast. Yeah, that'll be for the France 98 podcast. But uh, yeah, the the Saki years, I think basically a lot of Italians just glance over the Saki years. You know, it just... As you say, a coach like that was never going to work at international level where you see players, where you have players a week every three months. So, like his system, his pressing system was never going to work. And it was a disastrous. And the, his arrogance was beyond belief, especially for the Russia game. Um, but yeah, you just you just look at that Italy squad and you just think, not the squad, but the talent of players that he had in the league at the time. And you just think... Italy should have won Euro 86. If he had brought the best players and give them freedom, Italy would have won. I have absolutely no doubt about that. But again, he wanted the system. It was all about him. It wasn't really about the players. It was all about him and his system. One takeaway I've got from this is that if anybody crosses Roberto Baggio, you really don't like them. Yeah, that is a sign. But to me, right? To me... (coughs) If you, if you have that uh, that game against Germany, and if you have Baggio taking that penalty as opposed to Zola, Baggio would score. No, 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 He only did that once. Never again. Never again. You walked into that one. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, like you, you watched the highlights of that Germany game. Zola's penalty, it, like it was like a pass back. Like he topped it to Kapka. It was such an awful penalty, and Zola. This was Zola's one tournament. You know, we, he never made France 98. He played like for seven minutes at USN 84. 
And he was good in the first game against the Czech Republic. Or no, sorry, against Russia. But mm. Zola, I think... Zola was good, but he wasn't Baggio. He wasn't as good as Baggio. No. So, I mean, no. to me, Baggio still has to go. No matter how many goals he had scored for Milan the season going into the tournament, if Baggio's fit, you bring Baggio, end of story. Even if at this point, maybe you want to put him as an impact sub or whatever... He's still he's on the plane to England. He does. I think that's where we'll leave it now because I think that's hundred percent correct. Baggio did need to go, and this tournament was a disaster. We are going to be back very, very soon talking about Italy's next escapades at the Euros, and hopefully, hopefully, we can say something a little bit more positive about yeah. the Azzurri. Yeah, I mean, you, 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 Euro two thousand went a lot better than Euro eighty six, so. Yeah, we'll have some nice we, things we, to we're, say. We're on the up. We're on the up. Yeah, we're on. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you for this, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Please put a, co- a, a comment or a post if you like this. Please subscribe to the podcast. Or if you feel like uh, you don't agree with mine, then it's comments about Euro 96. Please feel free to destroy us on Twitter. <laughs> so from me and Emmett, it's ciao for now.